This audio is from the Axis Church and is part of the sermon series, First John, Seeing Through the Gray, A Guide to Living in the World. For more information about the Axis Church or its mission in Nashville, Tennessee, go to theaxischurch.org. with you before I get rolling, um, update on a couple things, um, some things just to give you simple information on. Uh, first, I'm Jeremy, one of the pastors here at the Axis Church, and uh, it's really, really great to be here, uh, to be able to preach, to be able to see you all, see many friends, uh, familiar faces, people I met even yesterday um, at a coffee shop, it's really cool, glad you're here. Um, anyway, a couple special guests here, first... Um, for, for anyone who has been uh, gathering with the Axis since March, uh, you've only heard of Chad and Logan. Uh, the Chad and Logan Roberts are here. Um, they just got in a couple of nights ago from Colorado. They're moving back to Nashville. And as they land here in Nashville, the body uh, is going to be, the church body is going to be helping them get settled and provide for them basic needs. Um, as we get Logan in school, as we get Chad a job, as we just begin to um, not shut off our hearts to these things, as First John has been telling us not to do, not to see a need and shut our hearts off, but to see a need and engage with this need and make it our need. And so our body has responded really well to this. So anyway, Chad, would you just raise your hand over here in the corner? Man, we love you, Woo! and we are stoked. <laughs> I have cried many, many tears of joy uh, since I found out that you guys are coming back. Yeah. And uh, man, I am stoked, stoked that you're here, bro. Yeah. Your love. We love you so much, man. So proud of you. Yeah. Um, some other guests, um, don't ask him any questions, but my, my roommate from college is here. Um, and his wife, Jackie, we, uh, Jill, myself, Jackie, and Kyle, uh, he's behind the post there. Raise your hand, Kyle. There's Kyle and Jackie. So um, they're here with their three kids, and uh, we all went to college together. So anyway, thrilling to have them here. He was the first one to give anything to the Axis Church, um, financially or a gift or anything, and uh, that was the old white MacBook. That if you've been a part of the Axis tech team or whatever, you know that white MacBook. It's been around the block, okay? So anyway, thanks for that gift a long time ago. Um, I also want to give you an update on uh, two things that uh, involves the, the church family here. One, um, Josh is going to be heading out for the Army and uh, for training, and uh, he needs someone to sit in and take over the ushering team. So Josh, where are you, bro? Right here's Josh. So if you would just hold it up there for a second, because I want them to see who you are. <laughs> All right, this is Josh. If you can help serve in the ushering role uh, here at the Axis, it's a it's it's a a simple way to love the church and serve the church. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for serving faithfully. Um, he's got a, a guide, a chart, everything to show you how. He just needs you to help lead and and be the main communicator for ushering. That's all. Um, finally. Uh, I, I want to present a matter of prayer to you. Um, our, our landlord, uh, we rent this space. Uh, our landlord um, wants to sell this space, and um, he wants to sell it quickly. 
Um, so we're at a place to where we need to, we need wisdom. So would you please pray for the Axis Church as a body and as its leaders both that we have wisdom. Um, it says in James that if we ask, he gives it to us. So let's ask for wisdom that he gives us wisdom and that he also provides the, the finances to make that happen. Whether we buy, whether we, I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen, uh, but I do know that um, uh, everybody I talk to is very, very, very excited about this. Uh, that's before us. So either we're going to make it our own and, and take on the one acre of property that's here, even the building on the other side of us that could potentially be kids' space, the back area here we could expand further. Um, all these are possibilities. Um, we've not put anything down. Uh, Jacob was on vacation last week, so I haven't discussed it at length with him even. So this is just honest this week, and I'm telling you uh, just to pray for us, for wisdom, uh, for the access, okay? Is that cool? Yeah. All right, go ahead and turn, if you haven't yet, to 1 John. Find a Bible near you. Uh, get out your tablet, whatever, your, uh, your device. Um, <clears throat> try not to be distracted by updating anything, uh, but do find the Bible there. 1 John chapter 5. We're only going to be working through the first five verses this morning as Miss Anna graciously read and, and prayed for us just a few moments ago. If it is your first time here at the Access Church, um, we love Jesus. We, we were seeking to believe Him more and more each day. Uh, but we think he's, he's awesome. Uh, we think that Jesus is epic. We think that He's very, very special and the most significant person that you could ever get to know, um, that you could ever believe. And so my hope is that you see Jesus for who he is this morning, even from this text. And, uh, and I hope that you get a vibe that we don't take ourselves seriously, but we take him very seriously. And uh, that's our posture here at the church. I'm trying to hit my hip again. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, I get shot every time I do that. Um, all right, so let's look at the text again. And um, let's look first at uh, chapter 5, verse 1. It says, uh, everyone who believes that Jesus the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. It seems very basic, but what we have to understand is the context of this passage. We have these five verses here that, that make up um, the, the, the entirety of 1 John, uh, where John is addressing churches that are scattered around the area of Ephesus, and he's writing these churches to speak truth to them because they are being um, pulled away and led astray by false teaching. And so, so when he makes a statement that seems elementary, what we have to do is understand that there's an enemy, there's, there's false teachers that are trying to pull astray the church and those who make up the church to believe something different about Jesus. That there's somehow um, a small Jesus that can be believed, a limited Jesus that can be believed, uh, that you don't have to love your neighbor, that you don't have to believe that Jesus was God, that you could merely appreciate Jesus. And John is like, no, these are not true, and I'm going to write this letter to you to tell you what it looks like to be a Christian. And so he's being very black and white as he writes to an audience whom he knows as well as an audience who he deeply cares for. And he's, that's why we've named it Seeing Through the Grace, because he's wanting them to see, no, no, there is something you must believe about Jesus. 
There is something you must believe about yourself and that you must do. So many times through his letter, John is just very bold and upfront as he speaks truth of Jesus. So knowing this, let's consider this verse again as we jump into the text. Whoever, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Let's take that first part. Consider John 6 when Jesus was asked, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus' answer, like he, he says, this is the work of God that you believe Essentially, that you believe in me, that you believe in him whom he, God, has sent to you. It's through this faith and belief in Jesus that we're saved. This is no vague appreciation of Jesus. Yeah, he was a spiritual teacher. He was a, um, a revolutionary. He was, no, it's, it's more than just a, a mere facts about who Jesus is or, uh, like I said, a vague appreciation of Jesus. What this belief and this faith is, is pointing to here, saving faith, what saving faith in Jesus is, is a wholehearted, I'm throwing myself upon Jesus. I'm giving all that's within my heart and my soul. I, I'm, just, I'm just throwing it before him, trusting in his saving work. This is what it means to be born of God, as John says here in this verse. It's through this faith and this belief in Jesus that we're saved. We are forgiven of every sin, past, present, and future, even those sins that others have committed against us. Our broken relationship is restored with God. We become his children. It's through this faith and belief in Jesus that we experience a spiritual transformation. It changes our entire situation in life. It, it changes everything about our eternity. It changes everything about how we view certain things in this life, including death. That's before every single one of us. Jesus changes something about everything. Our lives are changed forever when we believe Jesus. Truly, wholeheartedly throw ourselves upon Jesus. And for the first time, our hearts can experience what true peace is. What, what the, the soul rest and satisfaction that we all crave and desire as we pursue certain things in life, we can find this in Christ because our relationship with our Creator has been fully perfectly restored. But if you ask most Christians today if they're going to go to heaven and how they know, they'll say, well, I'll go to heaven. Sure, yeah, I'll go to heaven. And the most, most question, most answers to this question, and even some that are in this room, this might be your answer. And I appreciate you for honestly asking yourself this question. Here's the answers. I'm a good person. I try to be kind and I try to do good. I'm not a bad person. I went to church as a kid. I'm spiritual. I believe certain things about God. I go to church. However, here, John tells us that only those who believe 
that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior sent from God to save us. Only those who believe that Jesus was unique and special, that he was God in the flesh, that he came and dwelt among us, that he lived perfectly for us, that he died our death for us, that he beat death and the grave for us, that he's going to call us to be with him forever and ever. Only those who believe this unique factor of Jesus and him being divine and saving, only those can be born of God. Only those are born of God. In other words, when, when you ask the question of whether you're a Christian or not, John sees it as the appropriate answer by saying, yes, I believe that Jesus died for me on purpose, lived for me on purpose, beat death for me on purpose, and that purpose is to praise him forever and ever and ever to the praise of his glorious grace. This is what it means to be born of God. This is what it means to be Christian. It's very clear that these false teachers had been leading these others astray by their false teaching, by their incorrect teaching. And they denied that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the promise from the Old Testament. They denied that Jesus was unique in that he was God and that he was God's son who had come in the flesh and that his death mattered. They were teaching against these things. But John wanted all to know, and I beg of you to truly hear me, not just tolerate me with your ears, but that your heart will engage and hear what I'm saying. You must believe the real Jesus, and you must believe that Jesus was more than a mere man who died a simple death, a brutal death, but a simple death as a revolutionary. You must believe something very personal. You must believe something specific that he died for you, that he accomplished for yourself what you could not accomplish for yourself, that he saved you, that what he accomplished he did for you, and you hope in him. My prayer is that every single one in this room will believe this about Jesus. Now consider part two of the very first verse that we have here. He says, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Whoever has been born of him, we consider Christians. So whoever loves God, the Father, loves other Christians. It's very simple. There is a, what we have here is we're told that there's a genuine, growing, obvious, concerning love and care for other Christians that other Christians have for other Christians. What we don't have here is an asterisk where it says underneath the text, except those who are of different race. You have to love all Christians except those who don't make as much money as you make. You have to love all Christians, but there's freedom to not love those who don't have as much common sense or intelligence as you do. You have to love every people. You have to love all Christians, except those who drive those. What are you going to call them? Cars. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't give us an out here. It doesn't, it doesn't give us permission to only love people that are convenient to love and those who love us well back in return. It tells us that 
whoever loves the Father, a fruit of those who are believers, they love those who have been born of Him. And now certainly, in other parts of Scripture, Jesus addresses love your neighbor. That's more than family, church family, more than other Christians. He, he also says, love your enemy. So these teachings are throughout Scripture, but this is primarily, John's concern is primarily addressing the false teaching that you can overlook needs in the church, and that's what the false teachers were saying. That you don't have to love everybody. You don't have to love everyone in your church family. And that's false teaching. Love for the Father here, it means love for his children as well. So if you're, if you're loved by God and you love God, John sees it very black and white. You will love other Christians. You will love your brothers and sisters in Christ. It'll happen. There's lots of children that I see as I go out to coffee shops, to stores, to restaurants, and my heart doesn't just bubble for joy when I see them. I don't just get all excited, like, oh, that would be a little freaky, right? If I just walked up to a stranger and go, your son, oh, come here. You know, it's like, scary. Right? You should. All right? Um, if it's, if it's a stranger, that's normal. Okay, do that. Protect your children, all right? Um, but when I see Arlie, Jacob, Pastor Jacob, and Kayla's daughter, I get excited. I, I like Arlie, not because Arlie's ever done anything for me or helped me with sermon prep or helped break the yard or nothing. I love Arlie because I love her father. And so for the church, we love each other in the family of God because of our common daddy that we have in God. That's what John says here. He says, Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever's been born of Him. There's something unique, a common bond that we share. And that's the same Father. And we're to love each other because we're the same family. This, this here, this speaks into the idea that you can somehow love God and not love His bride, not love the church. This speaks into the idea that you can only love certain people of certain denominations of your preference. It doesn't say love all Baptists. It doesn't say love all Pentecostals. It doesn't say love all Catholics. It doesn't say love all Church of Christ. It doesn't say love all Presbyterian, love all non-denominational. It doesn't say these things. He says love all those who have been born of him. And there's a lot of hatred from the outside towards the church. And there's a lot of hatred even from within the church with different denominations. This tells us to embrace and love. It's very popular today to believe that you can hate on the church and not be a part of the church and still walk in obedience before God. John does not see that as possible. It's very popular to hate on the church. I've been there before. I've had to work through some stuff. I'm a pastor's kid. I see a lot. I'm around a lot. I've been around a lot. It's easy. It's easy to hate on the church. It's easy to throw stones at the church. 
What I'm praying for here at the Axis is that we're a safe place for haters to work out their hands while we're protecting the bride. My prayer is that those who throw stones will come on the inside and take some bruises with the bride. And we'll use those stones that are being thrown at the church and help rebuild where it's broken. That's my prayer for the access. To be known what we're for and only for what we're against. God can help us do this. All right, let's look at verse 2. By this we know, all right, here's a proof that assurance. John said about assurance here. So by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. So we have love for God and obedience to his commandments is loving other Christians, loving the family of God. You can't have love for God and obedience to his commandments and not love your neighbor, not love the family of God. If you're loving God and keeping his commandments, what's wrapped in love for God and his commandments is loving fellow Christians. He says, he, John basically says that you cannot truly love other Christ followers without experiencing the love of God personally and without striving to obey his commandments. Because real love is shown by growing concern for God's will as well as a growing concern for God's family. So, so love for God and love for fellow believers, they simply cannot exist apart from each other. You, you cannot love God and keep his commandments without loving the children of God. You cannot love the children of God without loving God and keeping his commandments. And this type of love here is a giving of yourself for the well-being and benefit of others. It's sacrificing personally so that others can have certain things, including truth. Consider portions of 1 Corinthians 13. Jot that down and read it later. 1 Corinthians 13, 1-7. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and understand all knowledge but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver my body to be burned and have not love, I gain nothing. And then he goes in to unpack love is patient, kind. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. It speaks the truth in love. It's not resentful. He just unpacks what it's like to see firsthand who Jesus is. Jesus is the perfect and complete example of what love is. He willingly gave all of himself up through death for you and for me. Consider this from Philippians 2, 3 through 8. He's, Paul's telling the church, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility Let's count others more significant than ourselves. Whew. More significant? Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
Have this mind. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Then he unpacks the mind of Christ. Who, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But instead, he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. <laughs> and, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Emphasis here, even death on a cross. This is our example of what love is. We look to Jesus. Obeying God's commandments is the only way to truly love the family of God because God's commandments show believers that the true way to do good is to serve others and to care for others. And Romans 13 tells us that the commandments of God can be summed up in this, that you will love your neighbor as yourself. That's how you sum up all of the commandments of God, is looking out for others and loving others more than you. Let's look at verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Look at this. This is beautiful. And his commandments are not burdensome. Now, for those, consider Romans 5, 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So God's love in his people gives them the desire and the ability to love him and please him and to love others. So it's with eagerness that Christians keep his commandments. Not to earn his love and to earn God's attention, but because we already have God's love in our hearts and because we already have his full attention. Because of the completed work of Jesus Christ. So God's commandments should should bring believers great joy and freedom and not a sense of weighty oppression. And my, my, my experience and what I believe is the teaching of Scripture is that as we grow in our knowledge and experience of the love of God towards us because of Christ, you will see the obedience that is called for us, that is expected for us to become more delight and less duty. It's difficult. It's not easy. It's difficult, but it's not crushing. It's not damning. When we mess up, we're not just like, <sighs> obedience before God always brings the greatest sense of joy. And then Jesus gives us in Matthew 11 the most liberating invitation and statement I think that can be heard. Listen at our kind, gentle, loving Savior, Jesus Christ. You ready? Listen to this invitation. Come to me. That is radical that he would say that. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Look at this promise. I will give you rest. Here, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find, this is what we're looking for, every one of us, whether we realize it or not, we're looking for this, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, 
then my burden is light. His commandments are not burdensome. There is heavy lifting. There is burdensome lifting that must be done to restore you to God. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has done all the heavy lifting that must be done. He's done the heavy lifting. He's done the work for you. And he goes into that here in the final two verses. Let's look at 5, 4, and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So who is it that overcomes the world? Except those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. This faith is this trust in the good news of Jesus, both Christmas and Easter. That he has come to us, that he's lived for us, that he's died to death for us, and that he's beaten death for us. So are you in the family of God? Are you born again into Christ? Then you overcome the world. Our faith and belief in the person and work of Jesus is what gives the victory. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And it's not of your own doing. It is the work of God. It's the gift of God to you. We must see our need for a Savior. We must see our need to be rescued. We must see that we can't change our current situation and we cannot change our relationship with God. We cannot save ourselves. We need rescuing. We cannot rescue ourselves. End of story if it were not for the grace of God. We must see that Jesus was sent to rescue us and to save us. Jesus lived a perfect life as our representative. He died a death as our substitute. He crushed and defeated death in his resurrection so that we could live forever and ever with him. And we, we must each experience Jesus Christ, the risen God who lives and reigns. We must personally experience him. And this, I believe, is what John is pushing his followers to do here. Remember Thomas in the upper room? Um, he did not believe Jesus, doubting Thomas. He said, unless I see, unless I touch, unless I put my hand in his side, my finger in his hand, I'm never going to believe. Remember that? Had Jesus already beaten death? When Thomas said those things? Yeah. Jesus has already died on the cross and risen from the grave. But it did not make a difference in the life of Thomas. It had to take Thomas personally experiencing the risen Lord. Now that changed Thomas. That made him say, my Lord and my God. Many in this room can have vague appreciation for Jesus Christ. Many in this room do have a vague appreciation of Jesus Christ. My prayer is that all in this room will see Jesus and experience the risen Lord, our Savior Jesus Christ, and say, my Lord and my God. That's my hope. That's my prayer. That makes a difference in your eternity. Those who have this faith and this belief in Jesus, 
They're not defeated by the world, by the flesh, or by the devil, but they have overcome because Jesus has overcome. Let me read something very encouraging from Colossians 1. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus all things are held together. Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, that everything that he might be preeminent. For in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, Jesus, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and good enough and fit for heaven above reproach before God. Jesus makes all the difference it all goes back to Jesus. Do you have faith and belief in Jesus? Not an appreciation for, not a respect for. Do you worship Jesus? Is your soul longing to see Jesus? Do you wake up and miss Jesus? Like, man, I thought today was going to be the day when I would be face to face with Jesus. I long to be with him. Remember when he said, we're going to share communion in a moment. You remember what he said? He said, Take this meal, and he says, the next time I share this meal will be with you in paradise. I will eat this meal with you in paradise. When you take communion, are you longing for that day when you can take this communion meal with him in his presence and you see him every day of eternity? Do you believe Jesus? It's this faith and this belief in who Jesus is and what he accomplished. That changes something about everything, everything in your world. This victory that Jesus accomplished, that he earned 2,000 years ago, becomes your victory. When you believe that Jesus is the Son of God that was sent to save you. And John tells us that to deny that is to still be a part of the world. And the world, the way he uses it, is the, the centralized force. It's a cosmos. It's a, it's a spiritual realm that's set against and opposed to the things of God. In the New Testament, most of the writers refer to this as we are dead. I want to wrap up with this. I want to talk to two groups of people this morning. First, to those who doubt Jesus, who are skeptical to Jesus, who don't believe Jesus to be Savior, to be Lord and God. Welcome, really. I'm honored that you're here. I want you to hear my heart. I want you to believe God. I want you to hope in Jesus Christ. I want you to have faith in what he has accomplished for you. To have faith 
in his completed work that he came on a mission to save you. I want you to believe this. I want you to find your identity and your purpose in him and him alone. I want you to discover what true peace and soul rest is like. My prayer is that you'll run to him. And if you, if you don't have the strength and the energy emotionally to run to Jesus this morning, my prayer is that you'll just fall into his arms. That you'll just collapse into who he is. He is a safe refuge. He is good to save. And he will change you. Christian, those who say they believe in Jesus and what he's done, my family, my church family, my Christian family, according to what we've heard here today, these three things are inseparable. We must love God, we must obey God, and we must love each other. So the logical question that you and I should ask when we come to Scripture that tells us these things is, do I care about this? Am I taking this serious? Love God. Obey God and love each other. Where do I need to repent? How can I, how can I better love? Where am I failing and where can I improve? And as we consider these questions and our failure and our personal need for improvement, let us strive towards godliness and holiness, taking this pursuit of God very seriously. And also, may we remember the gospel, that Jesus did these things perfectly for us, which allows us the ability to work hard at loving God, to work hard at loving each other without being crushed when we mess up. So our hope is ultimately in the performance of Christ. Church, love each other. Love Christ. Love the fellow Christians. Love and serve your brothers and sisters here within the family at the Axis Church. Strive hard every day to obey the Lord and keep his commandments. Will the Christian life be difficult? Yes. But remember what Jesus said in 1 John 4, 4. We looked at it a couple weeks ago. He who is in you is greater than he who is set in opposition to you. Consider John 16, where Jesus says this. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. And that's that soul rest I'm telling y'all. Jesus came to give us that soul rest. Perfect shalom. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. And in the world it will be tough. You will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Take this with the teachings of John that we studied this morning. And if you're with Christ and him overcoming the world, you are with him in overcoming the things of the world. So there is incredible hope in this life and the life to come because of Christ. He is our hope. And it's why we simply cannot get over Jesus here at the Axis Church. We're prone to get over things. We wander away from him. We're prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. We sing that song, right? Like, we don't drift towards holiness or godliness. So we set up all that we do on a Sunday gathering to push us more towards Jesus. Over there is where you're supposed to be. 
You know, we drift, we drift oh, over there. So, so we can drift. We do drift. But my prayer, my hope is that you were shoved towards Jesus today. No matter where you are on your faith journey, my prayer is that you see Jesus as epic, as exceptional, as unique, as Savior, as Lord and God. Now we're going to move into our service here, the portion of communion. It's during this time when we remember what Jesus has done for us. Once again, we take this bread and we look at it. You, you consider what this bread is when Jesus said, this is my body. We consider this. He gave us himself. Musicians can come up during this time if you want. And then he said, this is my blood that's been poured out for you because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So Jesus shed his blood so that we could be forgiven. So we take this, we take the bread and dip it in the juice of the wine, and we remember what Jesus Christ did for us. This is a family meal. This is a time where we can together remember the one who united us to our common father. So let's take this time, let's remember, and I, I would love for it to become tradition here, where we share this with our family, literally and, and spiritually speaking, where you just find someone and say, hey, I want to share communion with you today. And you come up and you get the elements and you go to a place, back to your seat, over in a corner, and you pray together. And you remember together what Jesus Christ has done and how he has united you and given you family, Christian family, and you take and you remember so we pray for our meal this morning. And uh, after I pray, parents, you're free to get your children. Jesus, thank you so much for what you have accomplished for us. Thank you, Lord, that you have done the hard work, the heavy lifting, and you have overcome. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for allowing us the opportunity to not only know you as creator, but to know you as saving God and Father. Such radical grace. Lord, be with us now as we remember what it was that made this possible. And we take your, the elements, Lord, representing your body and your blood. Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us. And we cannot wait to share this meal with you again one day. Christ's name, I ask these things. 